Uh, great to see you, Purpose Church. It's so good to be all together again uh, once more. And God continues to use you in a powerful way even during the pandemic. I would even say, go so far as to say, especially during the pandemic, God is giving us all kinds of new opportunities. Pastor Eric and Pastor JT and their team just put on, a, on an amazing online uh, virtual summer camp uh, for our students. They had over 3,000 views online with hundreds of our Purpose students and their families uh, joining in on it along with uh, hundreds of people who've never been a part of Purpose Church before. They just found our uh, virtual camp online. It happened to be one of the suggested uh, videos that was being pushed on, online on the internet. And we had all kinds of people that had never connected with our church before. And they were all over the place uh, from LA County to San Bernardino County, San Diego, Colorado, Oregon. Oregon, Mexico, and Peru. So it was quite, quite the event. And best of all, uh, there were about 40 decisions for Jesus Christ. So we just praise God for how he is using you and your faithfulness even during uh, the time of COVID-19. Uh, just one quick story I want to tell you, which is one of my favorite stories. Uh, I don't know if you heard in the news yesterday about on Friday, um, Jim Ryan uh, received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Now, who's Jim Ryan? Well, he was my hero when I was a kid uh, growing up. Uh, he was the first high schooler in world history to break the four-minute mile as a young high school runner from Kansas, and then he served in, as a congressman from Kansas uh, for many, many years, and on Friday, he received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And the reason I love that is not just because he's uh, my hero, but one of the greatest days of my life happened where Kimberly and I were pastoring at our uh, church in Homer, New York, Homer Baptist Church in this rural uh, part of upstate New York. And this woman by the name of Nancy came to Christ uh, through our church. And her husband began to attend church with her. And now he seemed this very austere, uh, kind of a, a little bit standoffish kind of guy, and he'd sit in the back of the balcony with his arms folded during my sermon, and I just thought, oh my goodness, th this is going to take a move of the Holy Spirit for this thing uh, to happen. But little by little, over time, Jesus drew him to himself, and he committed his life to Christ. And his name was Jack Daniels, and he was the coach of Jim Ryan. He was Jim Ryan's coach. Jim Ryan was an on-fire Christian. He had been praying for his coach to come to Christ for years, and God used our little church in Homer uh, to reach this man for Christ. And so the, the, one of the greatest days of my life was the day I baptized Jack Daniels, uh, Jim Ryan came and preached at our church. So he preached that day, and I got to baptize his coach, who he had been praying for for so many years. Now, here's where I need your help, is I need you to find and reach for Christ somebody named Johnny Walker and Jim Bean. Because it would be a hat trick for a Baptist pastor to baptize Jack Daniels, Jim Beam, and Johnny Walker all in the same lifetime. I mean, that would be just awesome. So I need your help in that because the time is growing short uh, when I need to uh, baptize those other two. Uh, one of the things we've been using during this uh, time of pandemic to get through it and to deal with the hardship of it is humor. And so here are five of my favorite memes from this past week. Uh, number one, Mark Wahlberg, who's one of my favorite actors, he said, did we skip the murder hornets? Because I feel like we skipped the murder hornets. Uh, here's a letter to July. It's a little late in the month, but let's still read it. Dear July, 
I don't want any trouble from you. Just come in, sit down, and don't touch anything. Now, I don't think July has kept their word on that. Uh, here's, a, here's a church sign out in front of a church. Uh, Thou shalt wear a mask in public, high Genesis 3.16. And then here's my favorite one uh, about numbers. Number 13 says, I am the worst number. Number 666 says, no, I am the worst number. And the number 2020 just laughs. And then the final one, number five, I'm going to stay up on New Year's Eve this year, not to see the new year in, but to make sure that this one leaves. Uh, we're continuing our summer series entitled Living Hope, uh, based on the book of First Peter. And the title of today's message is The Submitted Life, and it's based on 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. But before we go to chapter 3, I want to just look at one verse that shows the example of Jesus in the area of submission uh, that we looked at at the end of our study time uh, last Sunday. And it's 1 Peter 2, verse 21. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. We, uh, Christ has left for us an example of submission, even to the point of dying on the cross. And he left us an example, and we are to follow in his footsteps. Last Sunday, we talked about being submissive to God. But now today, we're going to talk about being mutually submissive uh, to each other. Now today we're going to go back and forth between Peter and Paul. So here's a similar uh, passage about the example of Jesus uh, from Paul. Philippians 2, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So Peter says, use Jesus as an example, follow in his footsteps. And Paul says, have the same mindset of Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Let's just hold it there for just a second. Let's hold it on uh, verse six. Something to be used to his own advantage. Do you remember a few weeks ago, I shared that interview with Brian Loritz, and he mentioned Tim Keller talking about those of us who have advantages in life should intentionally disadvantage ourselves for others like Jesus did. In the same way that Jesus he had the advantage of being God, but he disadvantaged himself and, and came and, and lived among us and died on the cross and rose from the grave for our advantage. And in the same way, with any advantages that we have in life, we should follow his example, his mindset, and his footsteps to intentionally disadvantage ourselves for the sake of others, uh, just like Jesus did. Now on to verse 7. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So now the purpose of our lives is following the example of Jesus. The purpose of our lives, once we commit our lives to Christ, is following in his footsteps. The purpose of our lives is to have his mindset in dealing in our relationships with each other. Now, how do we do this? Here's our theme verse for the day. Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Greek verb that is translated here as submit, uh, to submit, that Greek verb is hypotasso, which means uh, to submit. Uh, Paul in his letters use this uh, word here 23 times. 
So it's a big deal in the Christian life. 23 times he uses this word, sometimes to submit to God, as we talked about last Sunday, and then sometimes to mutually submit to each other in our relationships with each other. Now, forgive me in advance, I've got just like a bunch of quotes in my sermon today, um, and uh, Kimberly said I have uh, uh, too many quotes in my sermon today, and so I asked her if I could quote her on that, and so uh, here's her quote. I think that Glenn may have too many quotes this Sunday. So, so there's the quote from Kimberly Gunderson. Let's look at some of those quotes. Uh, Corey Myers is our young adults pastor. And Corey is the one that came up with the questions to go along with our study here for the life groups. And so she's the one that wrote uh, the study questions that go with the sermon for those life groups that are, uh, are sermon-based. And we were talking about the direction I was gonna go in uh, this past week. And, uh, and, and Corey said, you have to look for opportunities to outserve each other. And I said, Corey, can I quote you on that? So here's a quote by Corey Myers. We should look for opportunities to outserve each other. Now here's a couple of quotes that I used last Sunday uh, with regard to submitting to God. But now I want to apply them to submitting to each other. Miles Monroe is an evangelist from the Bahamas. And he said, submission is the willingness to give up our right to ourselves to freely surrender our insistence on having our own way all the time. That is the secret with the power of the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord, as we were just singing, there is freedom. The Holy Spirit wants to give us the power to surrender our insistence on having our own way uh, all the time. K.P. Yohannan, who's a church leader from India, he says, the spirit of submission is choosing his way over ours for his sake. Elizabeth Elliot, uh, her husband, Jim Elliot, my, two of my heroes growing up were Jim Ryan, the runner that I just uh, talked to you about, uh, and then the other one uh, was Jim Elliot. And he, he died in 1956, the year that I was born. And his story became a legend among young Christians uh, of my uh, generation, how he and some friends from Wheaton College, uh, my alma mater, uh, they went to the Amazon Basin, uh, to the jungle there, uh, to reach the Aucas of eastern Ecuador for Christ. And their intentions were misunderstood, and all of them were killed. And Elizabeth Elliot, his wife, she is the real hero of the story, because Elizabeth Elliot took her little baby girl, and she went back into the Amazon Basin to share Christ with this group of people that had just killed her husband. And they all committed their lives to Christ. And there is this vibrant community of Christ followers in that part of the world today because of, of her actions. And so with that background, look at her quote. If deep in our hearts we suspect that God does not love us and cannot manage our affairs as well as we can, we certainly will not submit to his discipline. I remember her husband, Jim Elliott, had a famous quote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. You're not a fool if you entrust your life and submit it to God and, and give up the things of this life that you can't keep anyway in return for eternal things that you can never, ever lose. And so we're to submit to God, submit our plans to God, our lives to God, the purpose of our life to God, but now we're to also submit to each other. He gives us the power through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, his mindset living in and through us to now mutually submit to each other. So now for the rest of our time together, let's apply 
that basic principle of submit to one another, let's apply it to marriage because that's what Peter does in our passage today in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now, research has discovered that the institution of marriage is declining around the world. And one of the reasons for that, Russell Moore talks about in his book, The Storm-Tossed Family. He says one of the reasons is that marriage is increasingly a vehicle of self-actualization rather than a setting for self-sacrifice. More and more, marriage is seen as something where we uh, achieve our self-actualization. That we, we, it's called the soulmate model of marriage. And it has replaced the family first model of marriage. And the soulmate or the self-actualization model for marriage is that I search the 7.8 billion people in the world today. And I find my soulmate. And when I find my soulmate, all of my needs will be met. All of my wildest dreams uh, will come true. And that's why the average marriage in Hollywood lasts about six years, because it takes about six years to figure out that that person is not going to meet all of your needs. I mean, only Jesus can do that, and Jesus is not on the market right now. Jesus is not available for marriage right now. And so only Jesus can do that. And so it takes us about six years to figure out that this soulmate may not actually be our soulmate because they don't help us to self-actualize and fulfill all the dreams of our life. And it has replaced what we call the family first model of marriage, where you just cling to another person to survive life together. You bond together in marriage to go through life, not just survive it, but actually to thrive as you go through it. And so Tim Keller says people are asking far too much in their marriage partner. They're asking too much. No person can fulfill all your dreams. No person can meet all of your needs. And so then when we get disappointed in marriage, then we give up on marriage. And so people are increasingly disappointed in marriage because it's producing what it's not meant to produce and unable to produce in any one person, and they're giving up on it. So as a result, Mark Regneris, who's a professor of sociology at the University of Texas, he says in his research, as a result, marriage will increasingly become a Christian thing, which means the church will bear increasing responsibility for an institution with an uncertain future. Uh, more and more, uh, the only ones willing to uh, live in this way in marriage will be those that are following Jesus and that whole principle of mutually submitting to each other. And the Christian way of marriage, that is mutually submitting to each other, is more and more going to be the only way that it works. It's the only way that marriage works is by mutually uh, submitting uh, to each other. C.S. Lewis writes, if you aim at heaven you'll get earth thrown in. And back to Mark Regneris again, he says marriage is a vehicle for spiritual progress that provides daily, <laughs> if not hourly, opportunities to exhibit sacrificial incarnational love. And all those of you that are married said amen. It gives you daily, if not hourly, opportunities to exhibit sacrificial incarnational love. Now more and more, it's only going to be, or mainly going to be, not only, but mainly going to be Christ followers that are interested in that, 
More and more, and research backs this up, more and more, it's going to be kind of a Christian thing. The people that are going to say, okay, I'm in if it's an opportunity to, to grow in my, in my walk with Jesus. More and more, it's going to become this Christian thing because it's mainly going to be Christ followers that are interested in doing that. Now, there is some good news for marriages because of COVID-19. <laughs> and you're going to say, no way, Glenn, no way. There's good news for marriages because of COVID-19. You say, absolutely not. And, and look, short term, I totally agree. Can I admit something to you? The pandemic has not been Kimberly and my finest hours of marriage. <laughs> okay, if you had a camera in our house, and now she's been great, she's been awesome. Me, not so much. I'm sure all the angels in heaven are all gathering and say, hey, guess what? Glenn Gunderson's, get this, preaching on marriage today, and they're having a big laugh over that. So short term, I agree. The pandemic has not been Kimberly in my finest hour of marriage. But long term, yes. Um, <laughs> what doesn't kill you makes you strong. If you don't kill each other, you will be stronger coming out of the pandemic. You say, okay, Glenn, you gotta back that up. Okay, I can. Research has shown that during the Great Recession of 2008, many Americans deepened their marital commitments and in many cases canceled their plans to divorce or to separate. Do you know that the divorce rate has fallen by 20% since the 2008 recession? Uh, now, now, part of that is more and more Americans are afraid of marriage. That is part of it. But a big part of it is Americans have become more committed to married life. Now, why are bad times good for marriage in the long term? Why are bad times good for marriages in the long term? Because in good times, we climb Mount Maslow, and in bad times, we descend Mount Maslow. You say, Glenn, what in the world are you talking about? Well, look at this graphic right here. This is called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And you start you're with your basic physiological needs, and once those are met, now you look for safety needs. And once those are met, you look for more psychological needs, belongingness and love needs, esteem needs. And then once all those are met, now you can go after self-actualization or self-fulfillment uh, needs. And so during bad times, like, like COVID, we descend Mount Maslow. And now we're just like, I mean, we're just trying to stay alive, right? I mean, we're just clinging to each other during this time, just, just trying to stay alive and, and stay safe during this time. And marriage is really well built for that. But in good times, when these things become like no big deal, now we get to self-actualization, and now we begin to say, maybe you're not my soulmate, because all my wildest dreams are not coming true, and you're not meeting all my self-fulfillment, self actualization dreams. And so I will stay with you uh, as long as you help me fulfill all those dreams or until someone uh, uh, comes along who's better to help me in meeting my needs of self-actualization. Uh, social researchers like Elise El Hajj and uh, W. Bradford Wilcox believe that the pandemic, um, during the pandemic, the soulmate model of marriage will most likely fade and a family-first model of marriage will emerge. This family-first marital environment will be stronger, more stable, and more likely to offer a secure harbor uh, for children. And so that's what's going to happen uh, during a hard time like the pandemic that we're in. Uh, they also went on to say 
that the church is especially well positioned to play a supportive role in this till death do us part model of marriage, both within the pews and in the broader community. Research from the Institute for Family Studies finds that couples who stay actively involved in their religious communities and pray together regularly are much more likely to enjoy uh, vibrant marriages. Now, our sinful nature fights against this submitted life. Oh my goodness. Our sinful nature just screams against the submitted life, particularly in our relationships with each, with each other. Uh, Genesis 3.16, by the way, not high Genesis 3.16. Now, this is actually the Genesis 3.16, part of the uh, results of the sin of Adam and Eve, of our parents, in the Garden of Eden, part of the results, uh, God said to Eve, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. It says, women, you're going you're gonna to want a husband but he's gonna annoy you once you get one. That's basically what that's saying. I love um, uh, this one uh, quote from one of the Bible commentaries that I read this week. The marriage relationship now included an element of antagonism rather than just security and fulfillment. You think, you think, (laughs) absolutely. The marriage relationship now, because of, of sin, it includes an element of antagonism rather than just what it was built for in the Garden of Eden, which was security and fulfillment. I love this quote by Carolyn Custis James. She said, the noble calling to rule and subdue the earth in God's name was perverted as male and female tried to rule and subdue each other. We were supposed to, in partnership with each other, have the calling to rule and subdue the earth in God's name. But now when sin came into the picture, rebelliousness, self-centeredness, now we spend so much energy just trying to rule over each other and subdue each other. Now here's the good news. Jesus can free us from that prison. There's the good news. Jesus, where the, like we were just singing, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom from that prison. Now the basic principle uh, again is found in our theme verse. We're back to it one more time. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5 and 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter and Paul are going to take 20 verses to show how this principle applies to husbands and wives. Nine of the verses are directed to husbands, nine of the verses are directed to wives, and two are directed to both of them. So what form does this submitting to one another, what does it take for wives? Let's start with Paul. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, you have to put these verses in the context of the previous verse, which was really meant to be an overarching principle over these verses, which verse 21 is submit to one another uh, right before verse 22, which is wives submit yourselves uh, to your husbands. Now, let me just take a little uh, tangent here and talk about this whole issue of submission. Um, We have a principle here at Purpose Church about issues like this, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things charity. 
That is, and the essential things of the faith, the things that are clearly taught in the Bible that every Christian uh, should agree on, things like that there's a God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that Jesus came into the world, lived a perfect life, he was fully God, fully human, uh, died on the cross, rose again from the grave, he's coming back someday, we are saved only through him and spend eternity in either heaven or hell. These are the essentials of, uh, of, of the faith, and we should all have unity on those. But in non-essentials, we can have liberty. Within our church, we can disagree agreeably. Now, it doesn't mean non-essentials doesn't mean they're not important. They can be extremely important. It's just that sincere uh, Bible-following Christians can come to different conclusions on these non-essential issues. And in all things charity, love is what makes that all work together. Now, each married couple uh, has to handle the issue of submission uh, how they handle it is a non-essential in which you have liberty. Uh, couples at Purpose Church can handle this differently uh, because this is a matter, this is uh, a non-essential, this is something where you can have liberty. We don't all have to be unified on this. Now, this is a great oversimplification of a very complex issue. But in general, those couples that emphasize verse 21, which is submit to one another, are what are called egalitarians. Uh, that's an egalitarian marriage. Those that emphasize verse 22, wives submit to your husbands, are called complementarians. Uh, that is, the husband and the wife are equal, but they have different complementary roles in the marriage, uh, and the husband would be seen as the leader in that relationship. Now, I want you to know, this can get really blurred between the two positions especially after 37 years of marriage. Uh, Kimberly and I have always considered our marriage to be complementarian. Uh, but Thursday night, we were out for a walk, and um, I asked a question, and husbands dread asking these questions. You, you do not want to uh, open these doors, you, you know, and when they're open and you have to walk through them, you do it. But man, you, you try to avoid it as a husband, at least this husband does. But I was going to preach on it, so I had to ask the question. So on Thursday night, we go for a walk, and I ask her, I said, okay, honey, we kind of consider us to have a complementarian marriage uh, through the years. When's the last time you remember me playing the husband card? That is, you, know, you, you play, okay, I'm the husband, we're going to do it my way rather than your way because I'm the husband. So, uh, Kimberly, when can, when, when's the last time you remember me playing the husband card? And then I just like waited for the answer. And she said she honestly couldn't remember. And so we spent the rest of our walk just kind of trying to brainstorm, and the two of us honestly couldn't remember a single time in 37 years that I had ever played the husband card. And so I said, man, we may be complementarian, but we're not very good at it, all right? And so, so these two things can really blur within a relationship in which you are mutually submissive. If you see these things that Paul and Peter are going to talk about, when you do those things, it's going to kind of blur. It's not going to become this power struggle of who's in control and who gets their way. Now, let's see how Peter talks about this issue. Uh, we often see the Bible as a patriarchal book, um, that is uh, a sign of its times, that it's patriarchal, the man's in control. But I want you to know, compared to the time in which the Bible was written, it was the exact opposite of that. Um, when, uh, it was radical for its time. 
And the only reason it's, it's not seen as radical today is because the teaching of Jesus is so pervasive around the world, not just for Christ followers, but in other parts of the world, Islam and, 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 and Buddhism and Hinduism and others as well. The, the teaching of Jesus is so pervasive that now we don't see it as all that radical. You see, when Jesus is preached, usually women get empowered. I would even go so far as to say, when Jesus is preached correctly, women are always empowered. They're always given um, a greater um, esteem and, and, and greater value. This has been true through 2,000 years of church history. This has been true in every culture as the gospel is gone. When Jesus is correctly preached, and I would put that in there, correctly preached, women get empowered. So that is part of the problem that Peter is addressing here. Women, because of the gospel of Jesus, were getting more freedom as Christ followers. And so Peter was answering the question, how does that work in the Roman Empire where women were greatly oppressed and many times the wife was a Christian and her husband was not? So Peter is giving Christian wives a strategy to reach their non-Christian husbands for Christ. Uh, starting with verse 1 of chapter 3. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes, Rather, it should be that of your inner self, just what Amber was just talking about in her children's uh, sermon. It should be that of inner, your beauty of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in, in, in God's sight. And so Peter here is not against outward appearances. He's not saying that. He's not against uh, looking good with outward appearances. He's saying just don't emphasize that or overemphasize that over inner beauty. Uh, now verse 5, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way uh, to fear. Uh, now, uh, the next uh, section here, when we go back to applying the same principle uh, Ephesians 5, verse 21, again, here's our principle, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now we ask the question, what form does this take for uh, husbands? What form does this principle take for husbands? Now, again, in Greco-Roman society in the first century, uh, wives were treated as a piece of property owned by their husband. So it is no big deal that so far Peter and Paul have given obligations to the wives. It was recognized that wives had obligations to their husbands. So far, they're just a typical guy, just a typical man from the first century, all right? It may be not particularly in the way they talk to the wives, but the fact that wives have obligations. But now it is absolutely revolutionary for Paul to now add, and Peter to now add, obligations to husbands and to equalize the rights of wives and husbands. You see that? Uh, wives back then were just considered the property of their husbands. So to say the wives had obligations like we just saw, no big deal. But it is absolutely revolutionary for that time 
for Paul and Peter now to add obligations to husbands as well. That's when everybody's ears would perk up and say, here's something new, and to equalize the rights of wives and husbands. So here's what Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Okay, so far, I'm good. I, I, I can love Kimberly. Just as Christ loved the church. Oh, oh, oh. Now it gets hard <laughs> to love her the way Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 26, to make her holy and cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Could we pause there for just a moment? Let's go back to verse 28. Guys, let me just say a word to you and and to me. I'm just talking to myself if you want to listen in. Guys, that's fine. When we love our wife, we're actually loving ourselves. To what benefit of it is it when we're mean to our wives? What benefit is it? What good does it do us when we're harsh with them? We're just hurting ourselves when we do that. Uh, We're loving ourselves when we treat our wives in a loving, considerate, respectful, gracious way. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, let's hold that verse there for just a moment. I want to be uh, very uh, careful not to overstate this because I believe that wives also need to be respected. As a matter of fact, Peter is about to say that, exact same thing. And husbands need to be loved. But I think you can make a case, and I've heard the case made effectively, that there's a reason why Paul picks these words. That a wife's greatest need is to be loved and the husband's greatest need is to be respected. And one of the, my favorite books on marriage, one of the most helpful books for me on marriage, was called Love and Respect. It's called Love and Respect. It's by Dr. Emerson Egeritz. Uh, the subtitle is The Love She Most Desires and the Respect He Desperately Needs. Okay, let's see what Peter said in verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. See? So you don't want to make too much of the respect and love that you see in Paul, because here uh, Peter also talks about loving, Paul talks about loving your wife, Peter talks about respecting your wife as the weaker partner. Now by weaker partner, he's not talking about intellectually, he's not talking about morally, he's not talking about spiritually, he's just talking about in general, and there are certainly exceptions to this, uh, weaker physically. That's what he's talking about that, even though we all know exceptions uh, to that. As the weaker partner... And as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You've heard me talk about this before, haven't you? That uh, I find this one of the scariest verses in the Bible. (laughs) That tells me 
that if I am unkind to Kimberly, it is holding my prayer life back. Guys, maybe the reason our prayers are not being answered is because we're not loving our wives like Christ loved the church. Wives, same thing true for you. Maybe one of the reasons your prayers are not being answered is because you're not uh, treating your husband the, the way that God wants you to treat him. And so uh, for, for both of us, it's, it, maybe it's holding back our prayers. Now, let's end on a positive note. I believe it's fair to flip this and to say to the degree that we mutually submit to each other, we follow the example of Jesus, the mindset of Jesus, following the footsteps of Jesus, we submit not only to God, but we're mutually submissive to each other to the degree that we do that and we're loving and we're respectful and we're kind and we're self-sacrificing to the degree that we do that, I believe it supersizes our prayers. I believe it puts our prayers on steroids and our prayers will be even more likely to be answered uh, because we are uh, obeying God's word to not only be submissive to God and his will for our life, but to be mutually submissive to each other as well. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for the marriages of Purpose Church. I pray for Kimberly and my marriage. I pray for the marriages of our church. And oh Lord, because of our um, sinful nature, in Christ we can be forgiven, but we still struggle with it. We are so broken. Oh, Lord, um, sin breaks us every day. It has broken us. And we are broken in our relationships of our marriage with each other. But I thank you so much that because of Jesus, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, even though we are broken, we can be broken together. Thank you for the power and the hope and the help we have in Jesus to not just be broken, but to be forgiven. And then you can lead us to not just be broken people, but we can be people broken together in our marriages. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen.